Now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lip. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. Guys, we finally found a way to get things done. All you have to do is circumvent Congress. It's the best system ever. <laughs> National emergency. <laughs> Yeah, like when you give all the power to one person, you can get so you, you can be pretty effective. I know. Why didn't we learn this earlier? It's, it's very efficient. <laughs> very efficient. <laughs> oh, it's going to be fun discussion. On that note, welcome back, guys. It's Barstool Politics. I am your host, Nick McGuire, joined as always by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College, who's raising the roof as he does, uh, and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi, guys. Hey, Nick. Howdy. Hey. Uh, before we get started, typical stuff. If you guys have questions, comments, beer suggestions, uh, things you want us to talk about, uh, follow us on Twitter uh, at Barstool Paul, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, beers we try you can find on Untapped that you can download or on iOS or Android. Uh, we're Barstool Politics, so look for all of our reviews on there. Uh, podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms. Review us, share us, like us, whatever you can do on your particular platform. Do the, do the things. Um, uh, and then Predict It. We are uh, partnered with uh, Predict It. If you guys are new to the podcast, uh, which is a real money uh, political prediction market, pretty much a stock market for politics where you can buy and sell shares in future political events. Uh, we use it all the time to get uh, the pulse of what people are thinking on uh, what's going on in the world. Uh, see where people are putting their money uh, and, um, you know, try to profit off of that because it's a lot of fun to do that. The Democratic primary has been fun to watch. Oh, yeah. You know, Bernie's back. Oh, fucking Bernie. Oh, Sorry. Larry David. <laughs> um, on that note, though, uh, what's nice for our listeners, uh, if you guys open up a $20 account, predicted will match that $20. Um, so, for example, if you open up a $20 account, um, uh, predicted well I already said that we'll match, match that 20 yeah, yeah that's, wow that's better the second time Nick <laughs> time loop just seeing if you guys are paying attention because I sure as shit wasn't um, yeah so definitely check that out use our promo link predicted.org slash promo slash barstoolpaul20 uh, and get your free money to use on predicted thank you predicted you guys are awesome it's a lot of fun definitely lot of fun. yeah so let's just do the thing where I'm I'm of the mindset that Congress is useless so um, change my mind, I okay. guess, as the kids say. All right, let's dive <laughs> in. So President Trump <laughs> declared a national emergency on Friday, allowing him to redirect billions of dollars for his beloved border wall. Billions of dollars for beloved border wall. I like that. It's like mm -hmm. alliteration. Uh, the decision sets up a fantastic legal, legal confrontation over the separation of powers outlined in the U.S. Constitution. Specifically, it raises questions over con congressional control of spending, the scope of the emergency powers granted to the president, and how far the courts are willing to go to settle such a dispute. In announcing his decision, President Trump stated that the United States is, quote, suffering an invasion of drugs, an invasion of gangs, an invasion of people, and it's unacceptable. 
Some have accused Trump of manufacturing a crisis and pointed to his own words as evidence. For instance, when explaining his decision to declare a national emergency, Trump noted, quote, I didn't need to do this, but I'd rather do it much faster. Uh, a coalition of 16 states have challenged Trump's national emergency in court. So let's dive right in, Phil. Some have described your fashion sense as a national emergency. Why don't you start us off? So many sequins. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not real sure what to make of this story. Uh, it feels like it's been, we've been talking about this coming down the, uh, down the pipeline for a long time, and it finally happened. Um, you know, to me, one of the stories is the extent to which this is just, it just sort of happened, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, it, 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 for as significant of a step as this is, there's, I mean, there's talk about it, right? It's on the news. People are talking about it. There's talk about, a, a you know, a, lawsuits that are going to come from it, obviously. Um, and yet this, this feels like an example of where we are in the Trump administration in that, the president has declared an emergency to bypass Congress to basically seize funds that have been that Congress has allocated for something else, a power that is explicitly given to Congress. And everyone's just kind of like, Meh. like, I, it doesn't <laughs> seem like there's that much of a I mean, the, the polls are showing that, uh, you know, something like 60 percent of Americans yeah. um, disagree with this move. 75. I saw one today. 75 percent of Republicans <laughs> approve of it. But that's also pretty telling that yeah. only 75% of Republicans are, are, approve of it. And, and it's not like a real strong approval. Um, but it doesn't seem, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, the, I'm, I'm torn between the fact that this feels like a really big deal and also sort of ho-hummy at the same time. And yeah. I'm not real sure which, which way to go with that. I'm kind of shocked that you didn't use the word norms in your opening comment here because <laughs> Phil loves a good norm. And to me, this is, this is a really interesting situation where... Yes, the president does have some national emergency powers, and we can talk about what those are. But the real danger for me is that Trump is now pushing against like the normative order. Like most presidents are unwilling to go against. If Congress says no, we can't. We don't want to do this. Most presidents haven't done this to go against the will of Congress, and it's to me it strikes me as this deeply dangerous strike against the normative our normative democratic order to say presidents go don't go beyond their constitutional power right and he's trying to do that he's he's, he's forcing the court to say you can't do this I, I think why maybe the reason why I didn't go to norms is that this almost doesn't even seem like a norm I mean there's an overarching norm yeah. which is that we actually abide by what the Constitution says <laughs> right that's more um, than a norm is, that's the Constitution. Is, well, it is right, but but this is a situation where it's 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 not like we've talked about norms in the past, in which you know you don't you don't you don't critique the media or you know yeah. you don't call the media. We'll get to that. The media, the enemy <laughs> of the people, and you know there are there are these there are, there are these sort of unspoken rules that are important in kind of in keeping the American system you know operating the way we expect it to. Um, this isn't unwritten, right? This is like a this is a written like this is how the how. Um, the Constitution sets up government, right? Congress has the power of the purse, and the president gets to, you know, is that's one of the checks that Congress has. So um, there is a norm involved in that, like you said, the belief yeah. that we have to do what the Constitution says, or we have to do the way, you know, the way the laws are written, we actually have to abide by them. Um, but it, that's that's like a whole different level of norm that it, it's kind of shocking to me that we're at that point, um, because it, the question at hand is, uh, it's not does the president have the power? I mean. 
there, there's some nuance about whether the president has the power to do this. But in, in general, the question, you know, the Congress has the right to allocate money. President is limited by that. Um, and and we're past that. We're just not abiding by essentially the way the, the government is set up. So it, it, it I don't know. This is this is an, even a different level than the sort of norms that we've been talking about in the past. I, I mean, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think in this particular situation, the norms that we're talking about, whether we're talking about Congress or the president, in terms of the president, the norm of having broad sweeping authority in dealing with, quote unquote, national emergencies is pretty vague. There's almost no precedent. Uh, that is similar to this. I think there was one with uh, Jimmy, I think it was Jimmy Carter during the um, the hostage crisis with Iran trying to freeze Iranian assets and they uh, he was challenged on that and the Supreme Court ended up uh, siding with him. Um, that's about it. We have, we have no idea, we're in uncharted water at this point. So whether you agree with the president or not, I think the net positive of this will be that we'll have some sort of better understanding coming out of the these this this litigation of what is the proper power of the executive branch in conjunction with congress and again the power of the person you know um fund uh funds allocations and 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 the ability to i mean he can pretty much do whatever he wants i, I mean there's again there's there's no there's no guidelines in this particular situation um having said that i i think uh, these particular lawsuits that are that are coming up now, I think it's up to 16 total. Um, they're not necessarily focusing on that particular instance, the the vagueness of executive privilege in this situation. They have to go with the more technical nuanced aspects of congressional funding or, um, uh, again, funds for, for states or environmental impact or something like that to... Uh, negate this effect because they don't have any other recourse in this situation without going straight to the Supreme Court, which I, I don't know. I think there. I think they're going to side with the president if it gets there. So when the president pushes against these norms and against the Constitution, then it, it falls to the other branches. And this, what we're going to see is, will Congress step up? So Congress has the ability, and the House certainly will. Like The House will pass a resolution condemning this and saying that it can't happen. Uh, and then if they do that, I think it has to go to the Senate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And for if, what's I'm interested to see, will Senate Republicans criticize Trump and say, no, right. we don't want to go to this or we, we don't approve of this? So, so Congress has a chance to push back. And then ultimately the Supreme Court, if we assume that this gets peeled all the way up, and it likely will, uh, mm -hmm. then the, that institution. But the president is putting both the legislative and the judicial branch in a really awkward position because he wants to pursue a pet project, right? I mean, he is, right. he is, that, that's what bugs me the most about this. This is just a, a, a political campaign thing. We've talked about, you know, building the wall, all of that. He's doing it for his reelection. He's doing it because he wants to do it. And now we're stretching and testing the Constitution and our institutions because of it. I, I don't know. It, it's, I, I'm frustrated how much of our rhetoric and debate is now revolved around the the whims of this this individual it, you're, the point it's an interesting point because there's in some ways there's nothing new here right the, the presidency has been expanding for a yes. long time and you can talk about the imperial presidency and the fact that the president you know the presidential power has continued to expand over and over again presidents like it makes sense like they want to have more power yeah. and more ability to achieve their goals so they push the limits and it is up to the other branches to push back the the 
so so in, in that sense again this is just sort of continuing down a trajectory that the presidency has been on for you know close to a century now um, but the key moments when you look at the expansion of presidential power when presidents have done that to push the limits have been played, you know, times like, you know, Vietnam with the Gulf of yeah. Tonkin resolution, and they had Congress's support, or you get to the seven, you know, uh, the, the years after September 11th. So there are these times where there's kind of this key moment, and, you know, you can, you can in the history of the presidency, you can go back to, you know, Lincoln or whatever, or, you know, FDR, these, these eras where there's like some really big national crisis, and the, there is some willingness to give the president some of these powers. This is a weird instance yeah. in which this is not a popular, it, it's not like massively unpopular, but the majority of Americans don't support this move. They don't majority of Americans don't support the wall. And so to to make the, that attempt in this moment is what's a little bit weird. Well, there's a difference between a policy preference and an emergency. And so right. There, you're right. There are a lot of Americans who think that a border wall might be a good policy choice. That's distinct from saying this is a national emergency. I mean, we just had all the intelligence chiefs in front of Congress saying, you know, here are the, the real threats to the country, and the border crossing isn't one of them. So, yeah, I think this is a really, really important point. Well, I, I mean, we, we have talked about the situation at the border as a humanitarian crisis, and I think yes. everybody is under the assumption that that's the case. So what, what does constitute a national emergency at this point? Realistically, you even have uh, proponents of the Democratic viewpoint that are saying, yeah, I, I mean, we have issues with uh, we don't have the personnel to handle all of the people that are coming to the border. And now they're being forced in, or forced or they're staying in areas uh, waiting for their asylum cases. They're staying in dangerous areas. So if there are so many people coming to the border that it's overwhelming the system that we have in place and we're putting people's lives in danger because of that. Is that not potentially a definition of an emergency? Crisis, but maybe not an emergency. Because yeah. who we're seeing cross now is families. So the, the total number of individuals crossing has gone down dramatically. What's gone up is the number of families crossing, mm -hmm. is particularly women and children. Like, they're not threatening Americans in terms of overall numbers, the way that if you had ISIS crossing the border, I say like, oh, ISIS, that's an emergency. Mm -hmm. This feels like, I think you're right, it's a humanitarian crisis. I mean, it gets into this sort of semantic difference, but um, national but, emergency feels like another level of, of a, a national security crisis. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's an it, interesting the, question. Yeah, it is. The, the, in, in my mind, there has to be some element of like uh, proximity or like imminence. Like the, Ooh, the, the yeah. threat, the emergency has to be like imminent to I mean I, I'm not particularly comfortable with the idea of a president having emergency powers of any sort right <laughs> if there's an emergency and it really is an emergency then it shouldn't be that difficult to get a majority of Congress to to get behind it right except the Gulf of Tonkin resolution which I pointed pointed to right Congress got behind that after September 11th you can get Congress behind it so if it's truly an emergency and it's like we need to do something now uh, it, it I don't it, it seems weird that you wouldn't be able to get you know 60 old white guys to agree on it. <laughs> but those were both false flag operations, so I'm not sure those necessarily count. This is a great question. Like, what is an emergency and who gets to declare it? Uh, there's part of me that thinks because, so it, it was 1976, they had this National Emergency Act. It doesn't in detail declare what is or what is not an emergency. So again, we see Congress passing the buck. 
and the current Congress isn't going to probably define what is or what is not. So it falls to the courts once again. But again, we've talked about yeah. the deference to the courts as the ones that are that are creating or enforcing legislation yes. that they were not mandated to do. Yep. Yes. This is your job as the legislature to do this. Yes. So this is the time to make a stand and yeah. to define these things. And the fact that they're not going to do it, most likely, is ridiculous. I, I totally agree, Nick. Like, this is the time where Congress should sit. And, 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 this is not hard. The Constitution lays out very clearly that the president is not a lawmaker. And, and Congress had said, here's what you get for the border wall. You get one point whatever the number was, billion dollars. That's what you get. And he's saying, I want more. So this is a clear instance where Congress should come back and they should use their power to say no that's it mm -hmm. but you're right they're gonna throw it to the courts right and in all, in all those those like sort of modern era expansions of presidential power whether it's vietnam or september 11th or this right congress yeah. is at least partly responsible because they've passed the legislation giving sort of this vague all-encompassing power to the president right. right after in vietnam it was you know whatever is necessary to to yeah. to to accomplish the goals in, in south asia after september 11th it's this very broad yeah. vague thing that's still in effect that the, the oh, Trump yeah. administration is potentially used trying to use to justify uh, um, using force against Iran now um, it, it's you know that's Congress can take this power back right they can undo this legislation they can this is anyway we should come back to Nick's point of getting rid of Congress but I, you know, <laughs> like, just real quick I mean you I know I was making the, the joke <laughs> no. earlier but I, I mean they're pretty much showing that they're completely ineffective yeah. at what they do and they they are not that they're not necessary, but their ability to do anything is so just it's just insignificant. And, the, and nobody seems to want to push back against any of this. If you want to be principled about this, like then you need to do it. You have all of these new members of Congress who rode in on their white horses saying that they were going to change the system. So then do something about it. Use your newfound power and make a, make a stand. Well, it says something that the only time you get congressional checks is if it's of a different party. So obviously right. the Democrats in the House will push back. But some of that is, oh, I mean, a lot of that is partisanship. It's not, if, you have, if you have the House and, or if you have the Congress and the executive of the same party, there's going to be less checks. Yes. Yeah. I get that. And, yeah. Regardless. It, no, but it, you're right. Reg again, yeah. regardless of what... what if we're talking about the the strength and stability of the institution, the party should not matter at this yeah, point. I agree. We continue to have the same arguments over and over again about executive power and legislative privilege and their ability to get anything done. So just stop it now. <laughs> I'm really fucking tired of. Can we can we go to should we go to the tape, Nick? Yeah, we can go. So to this the is tape. Trump. This is Trump explaining how the process is going to play out, and it's it's insightful in the sense that it. it ex He's, it's bad. It's bad. It's got a good tune to it. Yeah, it's, it's right. End up in the Supreme Court. Oh, we gotta go back. We'll no, gotta, gotta go back. Go back. Hold yeah, on. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. we were listening to it. Oh God. Oh God. It's <laughs> everywhere. Uh, there we go. And uh, I'll sign the final papers as soon as I get into the Oval Office, <laughs> and we will have a national emergency, and we will then be sued, and they will sue us in the Ninth Circuit, uh, even though it shouldn't be there. And we will possibly get a bad ruling, and then we'll get another bad ruling, and then we'll end up in the Supreme Court, and hopefully we'll get a fair shake, and we'll win in the Supreme Court, just like the ban. They sued us in the Ninth Circuit, and we lost, and then we lost in the appellate division, and then we went to the Supreme Court, and we won. Oh. Michael Corleone said this. I just wanted to see. Corleone said that. Yes. 
the, the substance of what he's saying isn't necessarily wrong. No, if, no. If you walked down, the, if so, if I went down to Main Street Keene and was walking down the, the the street, and there was a guy standing on the corner talking like that, whatever he was saying, whatever, he, like, if that was the way in which he was saying it, I would like make, I would, I would veer my path further away. Oh, I thought you were gonna like stop and give him a buck and do a little dance because well, it's very, it's, kind of, it's very. That advice fits a couple topics that we're gonna talk about today. Like, if if, <clears throat> if you were if people said that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yep. He's so Yeah. I, I was gonna change the subject a little bit, but yeah, go ahead. Know. Did you want to talk more? No. So the, the the conversation you were just having before we played that clip is is um there's there's something sort of ironic about this, about how frustrating it is that Congress can't do anything and they're useless and that's why the president has to sort of do these extreme things. Um that that is like the um, the, the interesting part of that, so I, you know, I have said on this on here before that I think there should be some pretty big changes to the U.S. Constitution and that it's a 250 year old document, whatever. But the founders were pretty brilliant, right? I mean, this was the whole point, right? They intentionally made it so that stuff didn't get done, that it was yeah. that it was difficult to get done because of this exact fear, right? That you would have somebody come along and that people would want to have some decisive action put into place, and and so in the 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 sort of ineffectiveness of the system is by design, um, but it's also the thing that's pissing us off and wanting us wanting leading us to want to you know change the system at the same time. I, Go ahead. I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I generally agree with that. I think the the problem with the system as it currently stands is the the accumulated effect of of bad legislation and the inability to act has led to something that is not the original intention of the Constitution and just negates the effectiveness of each branch of government, especially the legislature. Um, I, I as much as I think that the system was designed to um, slow progress down to some extent. Uh, Congress is also, like we were just talking about, culpable of creating legislation that passes the buck where they don't have to think about something currently and we'll leave it to another generation to deal with the consequences. So I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not necessarily sure this is much a, as much of a, a, a constitutional crisis as a matter of uh, a necessity or, or a need to define um, legislation and standard and, and regulation um, that hasn't been prior to this point. So that's interesting because both of you are arguing for the strength of the Constitution. The Constitution's great, right? I like it. It's wonderful. You know, it's a good system, but it, it depends a lot on, to go back to norms, the ability of those individuals within that system not to exploit the nooks and crannies and what Trump is right. doing he's taking advantage of the the vacuum the constitution it, it's not possible to have written it to address every issue no and he's trying to find the ways in which you can work that and so part of the brilliance of the American democracy not the constitution is that we've had individuals in these positions of power who've exercised restraint who right. put the democracy above their own narrow political interest not always but they weren't willing to go as far as Donald Trump has yeah. for, for I would argue, meaningless policy. But that's not the strength of, that doesn't mean that the system is strong. That means that a specific individual is strong or has the, right. the wherewithal yes. to not do that. Right. So regardless, I, I mean, in my opinion, this is a good test yes. for the legislature and the Constitution itself and our ability to combat these things from... Right 
a constitutional perspective. I think we're so failing, Nick. I think we're failing it real, <laughs> we really, yes. really badly. So yes. if we can't do this, if we can't rectify this now, that's a serious blow to the system as it stands. Yes. So I, have some balls and do something about it. Like I, This is, uh, again, this is the time to make not sweeping change, but effective very specific detailed change of what's already there just define what you mean i'm just clapping for nick mcguire because that's some that's some deep thoughts i like that nick all right phil you've got some pressure here (laughs) well and i I, this is i I, i'll never live up to what what Nick said. Um, uh, i mean i don't think we could you also we can't separate this from i mean you mentioned earlier the partisanship aspect which we come we've we've sort of harped on a lot over the last couple of years but you know, this is this is an example again of where you know if, if a Democrat were doing this, Republicans would be out of their mind about yes. it, right? Mm-hmm. And Democrats are rightfully upset about it now, but that shouldn't matter, right? It, who is in office shouldn't matter. But that tendency, you saw the same tendency when Barack Obama was president, and the Republicans were shutting everything down. Yes. They might they might have been doing that in bad faith, but the system is set up that way. And so you saw Democrats who were pissed and who wanted Donald uh, wanted to see Barack Obama sort of take these other measures and you saw to some extent some you know more uh, uh, reliance on executive orders and, and that sort of thing so until you can separate this from the party like if you you, you have to be able to separate whether you like the person in office from the question of should they be allowed to do this and and we're just not good at that no. right now because we have such strong um what's the negative partisanship yeah. right mm-hmm. it's not even that it's not even that i i love democrats it's that i hate republicans yeah. and that's why donald trump shouldn't be allowed to do this or vice versa you know when barack obama was i hate democrats and so he shouldn't be allowed to do this and and, you, and that's yeah anyway and you have a president who's ex- exacerbating that right i mean trump his language just in the last couple days he's talked about democrats and the media as the enemy of the people i mean we'll get to more of that but he's his tolerance of the opposition is zero, right? I mean, the, the idea that he's putting out there is that if Democrats gain control, this is this is danger. This is a, a crisis. And I agree. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, there's an important distinction between saying that the opposition, you don't agree with the opposition, but they have a right to exist, and the language that Trump uses, which is that like this is this is over the top. They should, they're criminals. They're you know they're awful. That 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 feeds into this dynamic of partisanship and says you have to do everything possible even manipulate the Constitution to avoid giving Democrats power. Donald uh, Trump seems like the culmination... <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump seems like the culmination. Like He's like the epitome of negative partisanship yeah. in mm-hmm. the sense that like, that's what he... That's the wave he rode to power, yes. right? And he had the perfect candidate to run against in Hillary Clinton in that in that way. And, and it, like, I see that in the number of Republicans who thought that he was a buffoon but still were going to vote for him over Hillary Clinton, right? And that, that's that element of, again... It's it's partly that I am a Republican, but it's even more that I hate the Democrats, yeah. right? And or and vice versa. And so that that's in, in in a lot of ways he's the appropriate president for this era because of that. Yeah, it's an incredible test for the democracy. You're absolutely right, spot on about that, Nick. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not sure we're going to do well. No, we're, we're yeah. doing really poorly we're at the moment. We're already doing badly. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean we have another we have another two years of this, and, and it it just I I can't even imagine where this is going to go from here. The fact that we're we're at this yeah. point at, at at this juncture is just mind-boggling to me. And we shouldn't assume that Trump leaving power is going to fix all of this. It's not going to fix anything. Okay, yeah, the pendulum enough. is just going to swing even harder sure. the other way. Because even if Hillary had won, 
what Trump was doing in terms of creating this anti-Democrat, anti-Republican dynamic was going to play out. It's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard to walk back from both sides. I mean, I'm not saying that I think Democrats, uh, Republicans are slightly worse at this, but I think it's going to be difficult. No, I, I, I agree. I, I tend to think that had she won the election, we would have been in a similar situation to where we were. It, it might yeah. have slowed the process slightly, but that wouldn't have solved the underlying issues, yeah. which we we need to have a reckoning with ourselves right. and figure out, are, are we aligned with our party or are we aligned with the Constitution? And if we are aligned with the Constitution, we need to define the powers of these individual branches because everything is just out of control because people don't want to take responsibility. Yeah. And I'm out of breath. Well, and all of this trickles down when you think about, <laughs> we've talked about gerrymandering. All of this is now structured to reinforce this ugliness that we're facing. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, oh, this is, this is fun. Oh, that, I mean, that should be the hot. thing that, that should be the reason why Republicans yeah. should be lining up to vote against this, right? Just the specter of a President Kamala Harris or a President Cory Booker declaring a national emergency yeah. on climate change or guns or whatever should yeah. be the reason that they're lining up saying this, this can't, this can't happen. Yeah. Right? This is why this is a bad thing. I agree. But then you have the Speaker of the House going, well, a Democratic, uh, you know, a president could easily go in there and de declare a national emergency about uh, about guns in the Second Amendment. Right. That should not be your immediate response. Your immediate response should be, we need to figure out what the powers of the executive branch are and curtail that because it's our job to do so as the legislature. That's thoughtful, right. Nick, right? That's that's very thoughtful. That's not how that's not what they respond no, to. No, they're I, assholes. You say I'm gonna take your guns away. Alright, this seems too far. Right. But that that's just it's exacerbating the yeah, problem. I agree. I, mm. Oh this, this one was, of the well, I know that we're out of time, yeah. but I thought this this whole conversation made me think this this week on on Twitter I saw one of the one of the sort of never Trump Republicans that I follow was was uh, arguing that or was making the 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 um, proposal that he was going to run for president. So he's he's in this sense a true conservative in like the kind of classic sense um, that he was going to run for president and his platform was going to be that the only thing he will do while president is sign legislation. Right. Oh. Like that, that's that's what he does. Right. <laughs> that's that, good. Congress passes stuff. He signs it. And that's it. Like he's going to sit back and. You know, there's that's obviously, you know, the president has to do more than that. But somebody, you know, I, I don't know. Do you think we'll get to a point in our in our, you know, in our lifetime in which people are running on at, running for president on the platform of shrinking the power of the presidency? No. It seems counterintuitive. Yeah, I, th I think it's hard. Every president you've seen who's gotten additional power. So Barack Obama came into office after George W. Bush expanded the power of the presidency and he gave like a little back but kept a lot of those powers, even though he ran on a campaign of critiquing the excesses of the Bush administration. It's it's in the presidency, it's in the interest of the presidency to keep those powers. But I mean, why wouldn't it be? You have one institution that has a 12% approval rating, yeah. and then you have another institution that has roughly a 50% yeah. approval rating. Right. So until you can stop people from hating you because of your stances or your inability to do anything, I don't see any reason why the president shouldn't take priority in that situation. My sense, because Congress has been unable to define what is a national emergency, the courts are going to defer to the president here to say, like, until the Congress says this is what constitutes an emergency, this is what doesn't, they're going to defer to the to the presidency. I, I think right. Trump ultimately wins this case. Right. Who knows? But that that would be my early early guess.
Oh, stupid. Yeah. Oh, this is fun. It would be fun to get Tom's perspective. I, I'm looking forward because to that. Because of the explicitness of the power of the purse and some of that other stuff, I, I'll be interested to see how, you know, I could see the courts coming down yeah. on the side of Congress because in this case, it's not just vague, you know, vague norms. It is actually, you know, there are yeah. actually yep. rules that are challenged. 100%. Yeah. All Good right. news. Tom will be here next week, too, yes. because of all this fucking dumpster fire stuff that's going on. That's why we need Tom. All, all right, right, Tom. Let's talk beer. <laughs> Phil, what are you drinking on that nice glass you have? That's that's yeah, not so your I'm, usual. Ooh, you're gone away from the solo cups. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm I'm high 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 class now. Yeah. So my the beer I'm drinking is from Good Fire Brewing Company in Portland, Maine. Um, it is a beer called Waves, and it is a it is a pretty can. That's wow, the first that's thing nice. I should. Ooh, that's just really fun nice. to look at. Yeah. Um, <laughs> looks juicy. <laughs> uh, it is kind of juicy. It's a it's it's an IPA. Um, my first when I it, when I first poured it, it's got a really nice smell, and then the, the first taste of it was it was um, really kind of sort of tropical fruit, like mm-hmm. in your face, almost a little too kind of juicy, tangy. Um, but as I've worked my way through it, I'm a good you know two thirds of the way through it. It's grown on me a lot. It's a, it's a it is a it's a good beer. It's a little bit more strong in the flavor department than I tend to like, but yeah. I think a lot of people would really enjoy it. I'm impressed how good Phil is getting his descriptions it's now. It's very good. You used to talk about, I like this is a beer I like to mow the lawn. Now beer. you're talking mm-hmm. about flavor profiles, and yeah. you're, you're mm-hmm. getting good. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, what are we having? So we are having a, uh, a permanent funeral pale ale from Three Floyds and their partnership with uh, the band Pig Destroyer, <laughs> apparently. And permanent funeral in honor of the death of the Constitution. Obviously. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And the bottle is just frightening. It's yes. a, it's like a werewolf head with three eyes and spider legs and a sword through it, and there's blood everywhere. I just had to get out of my fridge. It was disturbing <laughs> me. <laughs> Honestly, God, this was this was pretty good. It I like this. Yeah. yeah, it was. Um, when you first poured it, it was kind of cloudy, and I'm looking at it now, and it's not very cloudy. The oh, aroma. that's a different one. Yeah, <laughs> that's why it doesn't look cloudy. Right, I'm say, I'm a, the, the aroma when you when I poured it was really it's, nice. Yeah, it's yeah. very it's very aromatic and yeah. fragrant. Yes, um, it's got a nice kind of sweetness to it. Yes, um, but then enough of a, 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 a kind of a juicy hops. Um, yeah, uh, not aftertaste, but uh, but bite yep. to it. Um, yeah, I, I liked it a lot, actually. I was kind of surprised. I was, too. And so so I have a, I've started my second beer, which is a little something from Lagunitas, which I love that beer. Mm-hmm. But my first sip of that second beer made me want more of the first beer, which yep. says something, right? Normally, you know, you, you compare it by another beer. So that was that was a really good beer. Yeah, Three Floyds has some good stuff. This is, honestly, this is one of their, their better ones that I've had in a while. Yeah. So... Very good. Um, if you guys want to check out the beers that we try on the podcast, uh, follow us on Untapped, which you can download on iOS or Android. Uh, we're Barstool Politics, so look for our reviews on there. Sounds good. Speed round, Nick. Yeah. All right. So former acting FBI director Andrew McCabe. Traitor. It's back in the news after giving an explosive Communist. interview. He's selling a book, Nick, Communist. on CBS's 60 Minutes, in which he alleges that Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein repeatedly discussed, repeatedly discussed using the 25th Amendment to remove the president from office. The 25th Amendment is part of the Constitution that details succession if a president dies or becomes otherwise incapacitated. President Trump did not take this news well, suggesting that McCabe and Rosenstein, a current member of the administration, have engaged in illegal, unconstitutional, and even treasonous activity. Trump went even further, tweeting, quote, This was an illegal coup attempt on the president of the United States. 
Trump, who once called McCabe's wife a loser, spent much of this week on the attack. My favorite was, quote, remember this, Andrew McCabe didn't go to the bathroom without the approval of Leakin James Comey. Oh, boy. You know, sometimes the president. There's a real dignity to the president. Yeah, right. He mm-hmm. elevates the date with debate with that. So, <laughs> Phil, reactions. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I have to, I have a couple of uh, reactions and then we can you can kind of go with it do with it what you want. But the first thing as a as a as somebody who is about like I'm in the middle of teaching about mil or I'm about to teach about military coups <laughs> and the idea of coups. <laughs> this is not a coup, right? No. The, the, it's just absurd that that. I mean, it it is probably an effective, you know, PR tactic for him to some extent with his base. But when the uh, you know the when people within the justice department and the fbi open investigations into the presidency because they might have committed a crime that is called doing their job right so there might be conflicts of interest there might be other things that come into play that we could talk about but this is not a coup they're not trying to overthrow the government they're not trying to do away with um well, and, and just to interrupt real quick, this is all constitutional, right? The, the Constitution right. doesn't allow does allow for this conversation to take place. We'll so, talk about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, Donald <laughs> Trump even, like, there was a, he, he God, what's his name? Why can't I think of the, 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 the Harvard lawyer who worked with um, OJ, God, why can't I, Dershowitz. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> he, Trump retweeted something from Dershowitz who was claiming that the use of the 25th Amendment was an unconstitutional, <laughs> like, power grab. It, it is, by definition, it is it's in the in Constitution. the Constitution, it right. It may be so, misapplying that, but yes. Yeah. So you, you could have problems with their motives. You can critique all sorts of things. So this is not an illegal coup. It, you could say it's an inappropriate use of power. I don't know. So the other weird part is his, his attacking of these people, right? Rosenstein was his appointee, right? Right? He chose Rosenstein. Rosenstein chose McCabe, right? Appointed McCabe to be the, the the deputy director of the FBI. So these are his people that are that are doing this. So to see him sort of turning on them as traitors is is in its own way, uh, you know, bizarre, right? If they are traitors who are trying to overthrow the, the government through unconstitutional means, they're hand chosen by the president. So there's all sorts of um, uh, problems in that. The other part of it that I that's totally in a different direction is that I don't. I mean, I think it's significant that Rosenstein and McCabe are talking about the 25th Amendment, but it also is in some ways unimportant because they're not involved in the 25th Amendment. Like the 25th Amendment requires cabinet members to make this decision. And the vice president. And the vice president. But Rosenstein's not at that level. McCabe's not at that level. So in some ways, it's I mean, it's more significant because they're higher up in the just they're higher up in the justice department. But in other ways, them talking about the using the 25th Amendment is really no different than you and I talking about using the 25th Amendment to remove the president from power. Yeah, you're absolutely. I think that's a really important point. Go, Nick. Go, Nick. No, you don't like it. (laughs) No, the the issue that I have with this is I, I, I mean, these are two unelected members of the federal government who are talking about removing a duly elected president from power based on investigations that are being carried out that are not completed yet, and then going on national TV and talking about their particular conversations and their leanings in that, again, when the investigations are not complete. Well, you got fired, so. Doesn't matter, I don't give a shit. And the fact that you're on a book tour, go fuck yourself on top of it. Um, In addition to that, like you guys were talking about, this is a process that is extremely convoluted and complex when we're talking about removing a president with the 25th Amendment, specifically Section 4, as I oh, recall. That's good. 
we're talking about the vice president has to initiate it. You need the majority of the cabinet to agree to it. Uh, if that goes through, you need, I believe it's a two-thirds vote in both, both houses, houses of Congress yeah, to let yeah. this go through. Why on earth would you even be talking about this in public when you know for a fact that it would never, ever, ever happen, ever, ever, ever? Bill, you're raising your hand. Please go. <laughs> you know why? I think this is a great point. You know it's not going to happen. The reason you do it is because you see, you're see you seeing Trump and you're, going, you're telling yourself he's unfit to be the president. That's fine. Right. But you're also involved in investigations that are supposed to be figuring out whether or not he is responsible for these particular acts that you're talking about. I, I totally and realistically, agree. if the investigations were done and the evidence was there and you want to talk about that, that's your prerogative. But now you're tainting this narrative to a point where you have i mean regardless of what you think about trump there's there's an inkling that you're biased in your sure. opinions which means that the intelligence community and the justice department itself could potentially be biased in addition to that well, the, if you see one roach you're probably infested <laughs> that's how that's how it works but the word bias is interesting because it, it i don't think it's it's a partisan bias it is i'm looking at this president and i i i'm disturbed by his behavior both, I mean, both Rosenstein, Ristine, and and McCabe are saying this guy probably shouldn't be there. And I think you're right that the chance of this playing out, the 25th Amendment, goes way too far. But the fact that that conversation took place potentially, James Comey says it didn't happen. Yeah, oh, that's, uh, well, does Comey, Comey, or Ro according to McCabe, uh, uh, Comey is saying that these particular conversations, he does not recollect them in this way. So the other real, real quick thing, I don't know, we got to move on. That it took place. So, so McCabe's interview, sixty. He's McCabe. You're right. He's selling books. He's everywhere. <laughs> he's and an asshole. It's important to note that McCabe was fired. He says he was fired for partisan reasons. But an inspector general looked at what he did. And these are the IGs are independent, nonpartisan individuals. And they said, you screwed up. You should be fired. So he is a problematic individual. Nevertheless, uh, after Comey was fired, he went to the group of eight. Uh, so this is the Speaker of the House. So the Democrat and Republican leaders in the House and the Senate. And he brought information saying, we are going to investigate Trump for counterintelligence you know, reasons. And they all said, they were all yes. on board. So that, that that's well, fine. You yeah. could investigate. That's right. your job. But that's interesting <clears throat> that you go to not all the time do Republicans agree. Like when Barack Obama was president and the CIA director brought information that said the Russians are intervening in our elections. Republicans pushed back and said, if you take this, if you consider right. this or publish this, we're going to push back against mm -hmm. you. When when McCabe brought this information, Democrats and Republicans, Devin Nunez, uh, Mitch McDonald, uh, Mitch, Mc, what's his name? I'm thinking McConnell. McConnell. I'm thinking McMack. <laughs> but uh, they all agreed. <laughs> I, I think this is uh, McCabe is a complicated, problematic figure, but there's a lot there that's interesting. No. And the other part, the other part that I want to, and it, it is complicated in this situation because they are involved in the investigations. And you're you're right, it it does potentially muddy the waters. But we have also advocated. We haven't done this in a while, but early on. We talked a lot about how important it is for people to come forward and actually, you know, yes. people within the administration who have concerns to actually have the guts to step, you know, to resign and or, or to at least publicly state their concerns. And so, again, it's unfortunate because he was fired the day before he was set to retire. And so there's all sorts of conflicted stuff going yeah. on here. But, but it is, you know, he, he is speaking out and saying this is what i've seen and 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 it is it is troubling and he he again is also selling books yes maybe yeah. don't do it on a book tour 
dumbass. He's he's got an axe to grind, but it doesn't mean that all of the information is inaccurate. No, yeah. that's you know what? Yeah. It's probably true. It's yeah. just uh, again, like you have you have these two people who uh, yeah. just it, it just sits so that that you're the people that are are going to cabinet members of the current administration pretty much asking if you know, there was a possibility that we could remove him with the 25th Amendment. Would you support that? I, I, realistically, in, in my understanding, or at least in, in my opinion, it should be the legislature that makes that decision. I, I like, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's just it's, 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 it's dumb. Messy. I, yeah. If we're if, uh, the only the only sort of you're not you're not at all wrong. <clears> Nick, <throat> but the, the one thing that I would sort of throw out there is that if we're waiting for Jesus to descend from the heights, this like perfect person to sit, to say that Trump is a, is a problem. No. It's not going to happen, right? Everyone who is <clears throat> in the Trump administration <clears throat> is going to have conflicts of interests and, and things that are at play. And anybody who's stepping forward is going to, in some way, have an ax to grind, right? Of course. So I saw somebody yeah. talking about like deep throat, right? Who, 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 you know, um, turned on Nixon and he was like his, part of his motivation was to take down people in the <laughs> FBI that he was pissed at. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that, that is, problematic but it doesn't necessarily mean that the thing that they're saying is wrong it just in some ways makes it hard to kind of filter through it to figure out how much of it is 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 valid i i agree i i personally think that it's your job to investigate these accusations and 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 and, uh um potential infractions give me the evidence of that and i will support your claim that it, it just it seems it seems problematic, yeah, no, no, to no, say I, the I, least. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right, moving on. Moving on to something that won't divide us. Bernie Sanders. Uh, <laughs> I'll take that bet. So Senator Bernie Sanders, whose 2016 presidential campaign reshaped Democratic politics, announced on Tuesday that he's running for the president. We were all shocked. Mm. He stated, quote, our campaign is about transforming our country and creating a government based on principles of economic, social, racial, and environmental justice. Unfortunately for Sanders, nothing he says these days sounds all that revolutionary, given the loud and enthusiastic progressive wing of the party. Yes, we have actual socialists now. Yeah, and other candidates saying pretty much the same thing. Sanders is offering little little different from many younger, and let's be honest, less cranky Democrats. Uh, Phil, you've got your New Hampshire pulse on the 2020 uh, Democratic primary. What's your sense of where Bernie will stack up? Uh, so I'm, I'm, my vision of it is probably a little distorted because Bernie's very popular in New Hampshire. We're right next door to Vermont yeah. and I, and I'm in the sort of Western part of New Hampshire. It's very Vermonty. And so, um, yeah, I think, you know, his, his appeal here is pretty widespread. And so I don't know how well that's going to carry over to, you know, Ohio or whatever. So, um, you know, my first thought when I, before he declared, I, I sort of thought that, um, he's you know he's he's in some ways missed his window right he mm-hmm. he uh was um in in his own it's weird to describe bernie sanders as like a breath of fresh air <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but in the last 77 years old he played he played a specific <laughs> role in the last campaign you, yeah. you had this sort of uh the the establishment had sort of you know chose not chosen but had had sort of you know tapped Hillary Clinton um, for the for the nomination. And so you had a race in which you had a Hillary Clinton type and no one else. Right. So Bernie Sanders was filling this 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 place that was 
um, more progressive in an era in which the Democratic Party was moving progressive, so more progressive on economic issues and stuff like that than Hillary Clinton. And he wasn't sort of drowned out by a larger crowd, right? You had this contrast of Hillary or do you want something different? Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't have that now, right? He's go, like you said, there's a lot of other candidates, a lot of younger candidates who have similar ideas. Uh, now that he's declared, I'm, I'm a little less skeptical. I, I don't think he's going to win. Um, but I'm, I kind of think he might do well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the amount of fundraising that like yeah. within the first, you know, the first hour or whatever, he's, his fundraising, like initial fundraising numbers were better than, than Kamala Harris, who had sort of broken all these records before he has advantages going for him. He has name recognition. He has an established network of supporters and, uh, you know, from, from two years ago when this was going on, um, I think he'll be a strong candidate. I don't think he's going to end up winning, but I think he's going to be a strong candidate. I was surprised. I logged in to predict it to see uh, before we came on to see sort of what the odds are for the Democratic nominee. Um, and he's second. He's the second favorite at this point behind Harris and not by much. Harris is, you know, 22 cents or whatever. Um, and and um, uh, Bernie's 20 cents. So five to one odds in a, in a pool, in a in a, a field of 20 candidates or whatever is, is pretty damn good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nicholas. <sighs> I, uh, <laughs> I honest to God, I I, <clears throat> I respect Bernie because I I think he he believes in in what he's saying. I think a lot of the current Democratic contenders are uh, kind of riding his coattails and what he was able to start a few years ago, uh, and are are not nearly as nuanced or or frankly as intelligent as he is. Um, I I'm with Phil. I I think he. He has a he has an established base uh, and and has enough support to give the other contenders a run for their money. Um, he's seventy eight years old. I think people are angrier than they were two years ago, and there are angrier candidates around now uh, this time around, um, which kind of makes me sad that he is the more reasonable uh, member of of the current group. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. At the same time, I'm pissed at him because he kind of, he, he not necessarily gave birth, but kind of gave the, the ability to um, uh, create this sort of more uh, yeah. militant's a, a, a bad word, but uh, yeah, I'll go with militant um, and more, and, and more view, yeah. severely progressive yeah. viewpoint that doesn't have a lot of understanding of how these policies are going to be put in place. Well, he, it was a less safe position, right? He was willing to say like the, the conversation is narrow between within the Democratic Party and they're also going to conspire again to kick him out of the race. So, you know, <laughs> right. there's that too. So, uh, there's a couple thoughts. You know, I think you're you both of you are right that Bernie opened the space for this conversation to take place and now there are other candidates that are seizing upon that and that's just the reality of politics. Although I do wonder, given the sheer number of candidates on the Democratic side, he may have an advantage. So the more that that That's true. declare, he might say like, you know, it's all watered down, but my name recognition is is more or is higher. I kind of hope that he goes away and Joe Biden doesn't run. If, if I'm thinking about the Democrats, they're better served by having some of these younger candidates run. But the reality is, these politicians can't do that. I, I think Joe Biden's going to declare. And it's, yep. it's not going to help Democrats. You're just nope. going to have more individuals, and it might be a Bernie versus Joe Biden race. And I don't think that's that's necessarily good for the party. I would love to see 
some of these younger candidates really hash it out, have real conversations. Oh, I would love to hear them I, talk no, more because really, it's really hilarious. Would. You know, but I think that. I don't know. Having a 77, 78-year-old, and what is Biden, 76? That's that's not the future of the Democratic Party. That's mm-hmm. I, I don't want to be ageist, but it's not exciting for me. And I think there's a lot of yawning and eye-rolling about, about Bernie today. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. It's a weird critique. I, I, I get it, because I, I, I feel the same way. Like, I, I think it's time for this sort of generational shift in terms of what's good for the like if the democratic party is wanting to do sort of the the you know from a pr marketing kind of kind of standpoint having said that bernie is weirdly popular with young people yes. you know I mean? because of his policy stances so so th- there's this weird age thing anyway in it as well but um and the other thing uh, you critiquing his age i i I, so I'm, I'm sympathetic to that. But at the same time, right, the left is also like crazy in love with Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Nancy Pelosi and people who yes. are older than yes. than uh, than than Bernie Sanders. So it's, uh, you know, I I do think about when it's like comes time for presidential debates um, is the the look of Bernie Sanders versus Donald Trump. The it, there are significant enough policy differences there that it would it would still be, you know, the Democrats are staking out a different a different territory. But if you throw a you know a younger um candidate up there in contrast to to donald trump who maybe has similar policies and a little bit more kind of what we would think of as traditional charisma i I could see that being a a good a good way for this so so i I had three classes today and i asked them all about bernie sanders and the collective reaction was right i mean which i think is interesting uh now i mean your students may be different phil but mine were more excited about other candidates than bernie who were they excited about did they say specifically? Different candidates. What but... are their names and who are they going to vote for? <laughs> well, because I remember in 2016, a lot, you're right, Phil, a lot of college students were really, really excited about Bernie. And when I mentioned that today, it was kind of like, oh, we're beeping. Um, yeah. All right. Let's, it's time to move on. My so, apologies. All right. Let's dive into the weeds here. So Secretary of State Mike Pompeo offered an explanation for the seemingly distinct approaches the Trump administration has taken towards Iran and North Korea. Simply put, Iran is the more dangerous and destabilizing force. Pompeo stated, quote, We've made very clear these situations are very different. North Korea behaves differently. They're not destabilizing Yemen. They're not destabilizing Syria. They're not conducting enormous assassination campaigns. These countries' behaviors are different. Therefore, the way the America, America approaching them is different. While Pompeo was making these remarks, Vice President Pence was in Europe echoing this perspective, telling our NATO allies that they should follow the U.S. and pull out of the Iran nuclear accord. Quote, the he, time- got, he got a really warm response to that. They, did, they didn't clap at all. <laughs> Please <not> clap. Like- <laughs> so, so Pence said the time has come for our European partners to stop undermining U.S. sanctions against this murderous revolutionary regime. The time has come for our European partners to withdraw from the Iran nuclear accord. German Chancellor Angela Merkel drew lengthy applause for her spirited defense of the Iran nuclear deal. Has she ever done anything that was spirited? No. I've only seen one reaction on her face ever. It's hard to find a good adjective to describe her. General disdain and apathy. (laughs) Yes. So, Phil, this is a curious development. Rocket Man is no longer the problem. Instead, the country we've already got to deal with is. Thoughts? 
Uh, I mean, this is this is um, to me this is a very clear case of motivated reasoning, right? Yeah. They they want to they want to go after Iran. They want to um, claim success with North Korea, and so they're finding the justifications or the ways to talk about it so that they can present that story. So, um, I you know I I just I think. Um, I don't want to necessarily argue that it's the inverse of this, that North Korea is incredibly dangerous and Iran is like a good ally that we should love. But I will be arguing should, that. Should, okay. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, but, but some level, uh, you know, I, the, the, at least we should be viewing them in similar idea uh, tones, right? If, if the argument that the Trump administration is making is correct, that Iran is murderous and is a violator of human rights and potentially destabilizing and p pushing for nuclear weapons, then all of those arguments are also true of North Korea. So to, to somehow set them apart as two totally distinct things is, um, is, is, is problematic with the word that, that yeah. we use on here. Mm -hmm. But you're you're right. I mean, in in a lot of ways, if you if you really want to dig down, Iran at least is trying, you know, or at least pretending to 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 go along, depending on your perspective, with these uh, uh, with the international um, uh, community. And so, yeah, I mean, it's anyway. It, it all comes around to this is the story they want to present, and so they're finding they're finding an argument that allows them to present that story. Nick, I don't agree. <laughs> no, and, and uh, my thought on this is realistically, from a a long term strategic pragmatic perspective, I I think they're right. I, I with the sentiment that they're putting out there is is it's 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 a smokescreen. I, I think that our current military interventions in the Middle East have proven that Iran is a destabilizing force in, in the region. And we do know that they violate human rights and they do support terrorist organizations. The fact that they are in direct interaction, that those effects are in direct interaction with our military proves that. The other side of it is we have North Korea, which we don't necessarily have direct military interaction with, that could become a stable economic influence in the region that could help us counter an expanding uh, uh, Chinese influence in the region, which seems to me a more pressing, um, larger scale geopolitical threat than Iran or the Middle East in general as a region, I think that focusing on North Korea from a positive perspective, you get more benefit out of that than focusing on Iran at the moment. I, that's, that's my thought. It's, it's interesting. I, I feel like the world is just flipped upside down here because I look at North Korea has nuclear weapons. Iran does not. North Korea is unwilling to make a deal. Iran made a deal, right? And you're right, Nick, that Iran is destabilizing in the region. No doubt about it. But if we go down that rabbit hole, Saudi Arabia is equally right. problematic. Right? I mean, they're, they're... The, the critique of Yemen, of destabilizing Yemen, oh, is, is rich. Yeah. Absolutely. So, like, that's a messy issue. If we're thinking just about the threat to the United States, North Korea, to me, is the much more immediate threat. You know, Iran doesn't really threaten us. How, all right. So how? North Korea? How is North Korea a more imminent threat to they the United can launch, States? I, I'm using my finger to show a missile launching at the United States. They, they literally have the capability to launch a missile against and, us. And in the last year and a half have said they're going to. Right. <laughs> they have threatened to, to nuke California. And, and it's sort of what, what upsets me about Pompeo's statement is he says that, you know, Iran is engaging all this, this poor behavior. And you know, North Korea, uh, Kim Jong-un assassinated his brother right. at an airport, mm -hmm. right? 
he he oppresses his people, and that's not to say that Iran is perfect. Certainly, they are not, right? I mean, you know, Saudi Arabia and Iran have a lot to answer for, but North Korea is is an is an awful, awful regime, a historically awful regime. You're right. But and what is the likelihood of having a nuclear? Is it a? Is there a better chance of having having a nuclear war or some sort of terrorist in, uh, incident that was influenced by Iran? Great question. I think the, the the incident is higher with Iran that they would likely support us. But the the gravity, the ability of North Korea to sell or transfer nuclear weapons to an, somebody who would attack the United States hmm. much graver. Then wouldn't it be in our benefit to try and bring them into the world economic yes, fold? But they're, they're not. They're they're playing Trump. Right, they're saying let's have another. They're, they've done All nothing, right. regardless it's, of the yeah, current administration. <laughs> All right, there. But isn't isn't that true for? I mean, wouldn't that be true for Iran as well? Then, so the arguments no. you're making about bringing. So that, that's what I come back. What? <laughs> Nick just says no to everything. <laughs> Sorry, Phil. Go ahead. I, I, that's, I think that's the thing that. So I'll, I'm doing this middle road thing, which is you have two regimes who you know either have or arguably want nuclear weapons they violate human rights they're authoritarian they're potentially you know problematic and destabilizing in the region they seem and in, in, i mean they're obviously very different but they check a lot of the same boxes and so it seems like the approach should be either engagement or like you know deterrence and threat yeah with both of them right it doesn't seem like it's weird to see this uh the the um the the sort of iran is evil and we're going to you know take this militaristic approach and north korea is somehow good and we like them and we're not going to and we're going to engage with them why like shouldn't engagement be the approach with both of them well and i think we should reward good behavior iran agreed to a nuclear court and i know what nick your point is that their behavior extends beyond the nuclear stuff but for me Iran agreed to say, hey, we don't want a nuclear weapon. We're willing to have a, a very extensive agreement and invasive ex- agreement to prevent that. North Korea hasn't. And I just, I, I think you reward good behavior. In my perspective, Iran has behaved better than North Korea, specifically on the, on the nuclear issue. Right, but I mean, you know, we, we deal with Russia all the time. Yeah. And clearly they have, uh, realistically, they have no intention of starting a nuclear war with the United States or any other country on the, uh, uh, in the world currently. Yeah. Um, but we know they're extremely effective at being assholes and just about everything else. Yeah. And they're, a, they're an extremely destabilizing force because of that. So in my opinion, that is worse for geopolitics than dealing with a regime that's fairly one-dimensional that also has a singular focus in terms of China that it could prove to be a counter against as opposed to the Middle East where you have Russia and Iran and Europe and the United States all in this quagmire of shit that we haven't been able to get out of for a hundred years at this point. So maybe turn your focus somewhere else where it could help us from an economic and mili- militaristic and, and geopolitical yeah. perspective. And I'm not against that. I think I think we should look to get a deal I'm glad with you North agree. Korea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's, I, I'm happy that we're pursuing that. I just don't think we should be punishing we, Iran for doing that. We don't, we don't have to pick just one country to be nice to. Yeah. That's, a, that's a good point. <laughs> that's good there's to, only so much love to go around. Speaking of which, Venezuela. <laughs> so, so on Monday, President Trump urged Venezuelan military officials to back the interim president, Juan Guaido, and allow humanitarian aid to flow into the country. Speaking in Miami, as humanitarian aid remained stalled at the border, Trump decried President Nicolas Maduro as a Cuban puppet and warned officials that, quote, the eyes of the entire world upon you. 
The speech was Trump's latest effect to ramp up public pressure on the Venezuelan autocrat. As he lambasted the Maduro regime, Trump also appointed to Venezuela as an example of the dangers of socialism, noting, quote, and I like this quote, the twilight of the twilight hour of socialism has arrived in our hemisphere. Oh, thank God. It's really good. And Trump also <laughs> vowed to, quote, those who would try to impose socialism on the United States, we again deliver a very simple message. America will never be a socialist country. <laughs> so, Phil, unlike many of Trump's international endeavors, his effort to remove Maduro has global support, or or general global support. Uh, what's your read of this? Is, is, is something going to happen? Uh... I don't. I don't know. I, I don't yeah. know. I don't. I don't feel bold enough to make a prediction as to whether Maduro is going to be gone soon or not. Um, a couple of thoughts on it. Um, w- one of which is that I. I don't necessarily. I don't. I don't necessarily have a problem with the Trump, uh, uh, with their um, take on this at least that that yeah. Maduro should go. Right. He's. He's. He should. He should go. Um, you could. We could get into a debate about like the the speed with which we sort of recognize the opposition and stuff like that. But in at, at the core of it, it's yeah. I, you know. Guaido is is better than Maduro. The the parts that I find interesting, so two kind of two points that I find interesting about this story. I, I've been teaching, I'm teaching U.S. foreign policy right now, and I was, we've been talking so much about the Cold War, which is kind of where I begin the, oh, the semester. Oh, I love that. And and it's sort of ama- <laughs> it's sort of amazing. We were talking in the last class a little bit about how this sort of Cold War mindset still is like we're still stuck in it. It's 30 years, right? I mean, it's been um, almost 30 years since the end of the Cold War, and we still. It feels like our, and, and I think it's a generational thing, right? Like Donald Trump, and, and like I think you and I probably even more than Nick, there's a small difference, you know, just a few years in there makes a difference in terms of like growing up in this Cold War mindset versus not. It, it to the to you know my students, it's they've never lived in the Cold War, but the extent to which that mindset still kind of sticks, this sort of communism versus the West mentality, and so uh, like the the crit- the critique of in my mind of Maduro in this case isn't isn't about a fear of the spread of communism. It's about bad governance and human rights violations and all sorts of other reasons why he should be removed from power. Um, anyway, so I, I think it's kind of interesting the way we still view the world that way in some ways. Um, the other part that's interesting to me that I've also been thinking about is I, I'm, it's interesting to me, or I don't know, do you have a sense of why do you think Venezuela is, is we have this approach with Venezuela? Because Trump is... Um, foreign policy is not his thing right like he's he he is very much an isolationist part of what his foreign policy has been is to pull back right we're even with like north korea it's this idea of you know we're going to quit being you know it started off blustery but then it's we're going to make a deal and we're going to be happy and most things pulling back from nato pulling back from you know our commitments in in the middle east pulling back from all over the world that it's this kind of focus inward and yet there's Venezuela where we're like advocating for regime change and possibly talking about it. It's, mm-hmm. It seems to stand out in 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 the sort of, you know, constellation of Trump's uh, foreign policy. This is really different. And I, I, I can't quite figure out why. What is it about Venezuela? So I don't necessarily think it's just Venezuela. And I think it is going back to more of a Cold War um, viewpoint, because now there are reports that American operatives were arrested in Haiti. Uh, trying to foment dissension uh, and and protest um, to overthrow the president, um, you know, realistically he probably should be as well as as Maduro in Venezuela. But I think that this is kind of a, a return to a mindset where, 
you know, uh, uh, international diplomacy is not getting the job done, so we need to kind of take a little bit more of a, a underhanded but heavy-handed uh, approach to regime change, especially in areas that have direct contact with the United States. Um, I, I don't know. I, I find it fascinating that we just kind of keep replaying the story over and over again, and we were able to hang on to a post-Cold War mindset for all of 30 years before we just slipped back into it. Um, I, I don't know. In terms of, of, of Maduro, I, I, I absolutely think he should be gone. Um, I, I cannot imagine there would be a direct military intervention into Venezuela, but I think this more kind of... Uh, um, uh, underhanded, uh, more espionage-focused uh, methodology of, of regime change is now at the forefront of people's minds within the administration and probably the intelligence community. I, I, I think that, I think you're right, Nick. I think the Trump administration, I don't say this often, has played this fairly well and with a subtle hand. You know, Trump often oversimplifies things, but he's been deft enough to, to say that we're not going to use military intervention openly. Uh, we're forcing the government's hand to say we're going to continue to promote this humanitarian effort and the, the ball is now in your court to either accept it or deny it. And what we've seen is that there's there's an undermining of support for Maduro. A lot mm -hmm. of the, the public in Venezuela is frustrated that things aren't going. The, and I think if the U.S. continues to do this, this may play out well. It raises another question. Then what happens if, if Maduro is forced out? What comes next? Right? Is, is the international community in the United States willing to continue to support the transition in Venezuela? And I'm not sure about that. But this strikes me as the, the Trump administration has managed to garner global support. Not everybody, but a lot of countries. I, I, I have to give them a thumbs up on this one. I mean, this one was fairly... I think it it's was fairly easy. easy. It's an this easy is one. very easy. But it still took a... You had to be careful about how sure. you played this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We good? <laughs> Phil? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, we're, we're good. I mean, there, there's a, there's an interesting, you know, at the, cur at the core of this is this interesting debate about the role of the U.S. Yeah. In, in the world, right? Because if it were flipped around, right, the international community doesn't like Donald Trump, but we also don't think that they have any business telling us whether or not Donald <laughs> right. Trump should be president. And so there's this other element of Maduro's bad. Um, he's, you know... It, He's bad for the U.S., but he's also bad. Like I think it's pretty easy to argue that he's a bad leader and he's bad for the Venezuelan people for the most part. But the idea that that is the U.S.'s duty to intervene and to encourage regime change is also there's all sorts of stuff that comes with that. And and I don't I don't want to say that we should never do that because there are you know. Uh, you know, it, it, it's again slippery slope, right? You can end up saying we should never intervene, and then you know, what about what about Nazi Germany or whatever? But so we, you know, we have these, we have this role, but kind of, I don't know, it, it, it figuring out sort of where where we should be, what role should we play in this, um, and and to that extent, I'm not upset necessarily with the Trump regime, Trump with the Trump administration thus far, which is to say, we support that guy. We, we're yeah. going to, you know, mm -hmm. to that extent, that seems like that's within our bounds and within our rights to, to do that. And like you, I'm torn on this because in general, I think a lot of these these interventions don't play out well. But it doesn't mean you you are you don't act at all. And I think there, there is a role for the United States to lead efforts like this. And, yeah, I, I'm happy the United States is pushing against Maduro. So, mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Final topic. So Trump had quite a Twitter weekend. It was it was it was a lot of tweets. So it's very mad. It was so all the capital letters said <laughs> yes. so. 
While much of his ire was focused on McCabe and Malik and James Comey, he also find, uh, found time to attack the press. At 7.52 a.m. on Sunday, Trump complained about a Saturday Night Live skit, uh, noting nothing funny about tired Saturday Night Live on fake NBC News. Question is, how do the networks get away with these total Republican hit jobs without retribution? I mean, in all fairness, it hasn't been funny in like 10 years. Hit job, hit job. (laughs) Four minutes later, Trump uh, retweeted one of Joseph Stalin's favorite lines about the press, tweeting in all caps, The rigged and corrupt media is the enemy of the people. Now, while we've grown used to Trump's attacks, people did take notice when on Tuesday, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas called for reconsideration of a landmark First Amendment precedent, uh, criticizing the 1964 decision that the Constitution creates a higher barrier for public figures to claim libel. He suggested that the seminal case, the New York Times versus Sullivan, holding that public figures have a higher burden to prove libel, was wrongly decided. This had to be music to Trump's ears. It's a really interesting question. Phil, uh, Saturday Night Live, uh, Justice Thomas, all of this is all coming together in a really important way. Yeah. So, I mean, I, this is not the important part of the story, but I, I just happened to watch the beginning of Saturday Night Live this <laughs> yeah. weekend. And and it I the opening sketch was, was I, I would have to say, not all that funny. Yeah. Um, but there is an interesting contrast here because I, I kept – I thought when, you know, when, when I was reading about this, I, I thought about – uh, George H.W. Bush, right? So they, people talked about this a little bit when he died recently, that, um, you know, Saturday Night Live made fun of him, Dana Carvey and all of that. And and sort of um, notoriously, uh, George H.W. Bush liked it, right? Like he reached out to Dana Carvey and they had this friendly, like he was able to sort of take the joke, right? The, the, the idea that this is, um, that this is my role as a public figure and people are going to, they always, regardless of who the president is, late night shows sort of, you know, skewer them in some way. Um, and so it's the part of the the sort of like lashing out is in some ways telling to me about about Trump and sort of the thin skin that he has. Um, that's not really the core of the story. I, you know, I, it'll be interesting. To, I, I'll be interested to ask Tom. I, I, I'm not a, a Supreme Court scholar by any standard. Um, it seems weird to me to have a, a sitting Supreme Court justice basically speaking out sending signals that this sort of case should be brought or that I think this should be changed that I I don't I mean maybe that's not unusual but that feels really unusual it feels weird that Clarence Thomas would would do that am am I wrong in that? No no there's there's more to this story too because uh, Clarence Thomas's wife is a huge huge Trump supporter I mean very involved and super conservative and it raises this question I mean obviously Clarence Thomas is independent of his wife and we shouldn't hold him accountable for you know spouses but it just the the drama there is really interesting (sighs) when it comes to the media and Saturday Night Live specifically I mean they've had amazing things with presidents like really really funny bits but they were always in the context of you know they were they worked really hard or you know they drove the administration really hard or they kind of talked funny or they threw up on the Japanese prime minister it was something like that but it's it fell down a lot they fell down a lot yeah it's this particular thing where it's every it's every episode week after week after week where it's the same person or the same group of people who you know it's not good-natured and it's just this this constant just angry lambasting and this is the only way that they can do it and and, and it's uh, when you talk about libel in this situation comedy i don't necessarily believe should be part of that but this is not the same world as it was with previous administrations i think i think that there's enough of a 
bias in the media to make it a different standard now personally i think that i realistically i do think that there is an agenda because there's a political bent to all these organizations because they're corporate run they're not public entities well they are public entities but they're there's a specific mindset that influences most of them including nbc or abc or cbs or any of the the major networks or the washington post who is now getting sued for 250 million dollars because of uh um nick uh, sandman enter sandman um, because of their uh, their reporting on him and the um, Covington Catholic sure. thing. I just wonder if I we circle back to our earlier topic. I wonder whether Trump hasn't brought this on himself, right? I mean, so so if you have a president who goes to extremes and may be unfit for office as comedians or as journalists or whatever we're going to call Saturday Night Live, because I think you're right, Nick, that that line is blurred, they have a right to do this without worrying about libel, right? They have a Yeah, they have an absolute right to do yeah. it. But we talk about I, I just it just it just doesn't make sense to me. Like yeah. I, I understand that you are upset about the state of affairs as they are yeah. currently, but it doesn't necessarily make the situation better if it comes off like you said, Phil, it, it wasn't funny. Most of the things in Saturday Night Live when it came to presidents were pretty yeah. funny. Um I like I I just think it's a different mindset with this administration more than anything. I I, I think it is a I think it is a different mindset, but I think this administration is also different. Of so course. I, I mean I, I I don't I want to push back a little bit. I don't think you're wrong, Nick, but I I also don't think that Saturday Night Live has always been just good natured, right? No. I think back to Will Ferrell and George W. Bush, and mm-hmm. like that was you know that was that wasn't good natured, right? They were like totally implying that he was an idiot. Yeah. Um. And and. But there was, you know, anyway, so I, I feel like it's kind of this is, you know, they're always sort of trying to 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 um, to skewer uh, who the president is. I, and I, I think your point about them, these are corporate entities, I, I think is is true. But I think that can also go in the other direction, like the implication that they're corporate entities and therefore they're opposed to Trump or is, is not. I mean, I think they're corporate entities and they're trying to do stuff like they if if Trump were incredibly popular and what people wanted to see was like praise of Trump or good natured ribbing of Trump, they would go that way as well. Right They're Yeah. They're mm-hmm. doing what people want. Like this is yeah. a response. This is market based in some way. They're sure. trying to do whatever it takes to get viewers. I do think that if there is a, a lower barrier when it comes to the spread of a particular idea as well. Currently, when you're talking about social media, I think the ability to, evince a particular perspective or idea is um is significantly easier and frankly a lot of people are 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 dumb and don't look at the facts or do their own research regardless of whether you believe a a particular mindset or not i think that it's it's much easier to um to put your opinion out there regardless of that's probably the wrong way to put it. I, I think it's easier for corporate entities to put their opinion out there and have people attached to it um, compared to previous administrations, um, which kind of changes, in my opinion, the standard of uh, of libel and and the 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 threshold that you need to get to to uh, for for a, a libel standard, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting because Trump. I mean, I, I, part of me feels even if the Supreme Court overturned that decision, Trump would have no merit, right? I mean, his it, most of I'm guessing what is published about him, not the not Center Alive, but the New York Times, the Washington Post, like that's good journalism, like it's legit. 
Right, just because it's negative press doesn't mean that exactly that, right. That yeah, that I, I don't think right. that. I don't necessarily think that's true. I don't know. I, history will tell, right? History will dictate whether whether the press was accurate or not. But I certainly don't want to throw my lot in with Trump, who is just like reject, reject, reject. Is everything negative is inaccurate? That's I, I'm not comfortable there. Either. No, I agree. But uh, there's a difference between again uh, previous points in history when you were reporting on a particular situation and when you have you're constantly awash in quote unquote news that yeah. most of the time is a rehashing of a particular event that you've heard about half a dozen times previously that is more opinion or it's a mix of opinion and particular you know elements of, of mm-hmm. facts that people you know that were part of that particular incident i think there's this weird just kind of gray area that we're in right now where it's not it's news but it's not news and it's opinion based and what is most titillating and 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 um engrossing to the public no, so, that's true and yeah that, I don't know. and trump loves that too right i mean i don't think he's sh- part of the reason i think he declared the national emergency is because he thought it'd be good news mm-hmm. he doesn't mind that he likes coverage so he yeah it's it's so messy yeah I don't like any of this yeah, anymore. This was fun, we started though. so good, and now I'm just sad. No, no, no. This is a good one, Nick. <laughs> it's Wednesday nights are the best. Yeah, yeah it is. I love doing we, we figured it all out. It's all figured out by the end. I don't know why people even watch the news anymore. <laughs> they can just listen to us, and everything's fine. Um, on that note, uh, if you guys, again, as we talked about at the start of the podcast, because I'm sure you were listening the entire time, um, like the podcast, comments, questions, um, beer suggestions, anything fun like that. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul, twi- uh, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, beers that we try, you can find on Untapped on iOS or Android. Um, we're just Barstool Politics, so look for us on there. The podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms. Review us, share us, like us through those. Um, predict it. Oh my God. Really bad, and I don't want to. <laughs> um, predicted is a real money uh, political prediction market, pretty much a stock market uh, for politics where you can buy and sell shares in future political events. Barstool Politics listeners, uh, guys, if you open up a $20 account, Predictit will match that $20, giving you $40 to use on Predictit. Definitely check it out, especially with the, uh, the Democratic contenders. Um, Anything that's going on, potential uh, Supreme Court cases. Theresa May in the UK. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's heating yeah. up real bad yeah. and real good at the same time. Um, just use our promo link, predicted.org slash promo slash barstoolpaul20 uh, and get your $40 to use on Predicted. Definitely check it out. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. I am going to do my little fun interactive uh, real-time thing this evening. So if you guys would like to do that, uh, check out Twitch or uh, Mixer or Facebook um at uh some jackal on those things uh pretty good discussions actually the last few times so thank you guys for uh for doing that um let's go uh talk about these things and more things and shoot things at the same time so we'll have fun anything else guys no phil i'm good cool we will have tom's gonna be back next Next week week, yeah oh i miss tom he's so fun (laughs) (laughs) and he agrees with me on some things which is so nice (laughs) All right, we will see you guys next week. Cheers. Cheers.